before there's any climate change. So we don't just get involved in politics because we need to sort some stuff out. We get involved in politics because as human beings, that's what we're called to do. We're called to image his good rule and reign. And if, if more of us were involved in imaging his good rule and reign in the systems and structures of our world, then the systems and structures wouldn't be in such a bad place. Hello and welcome to the Together podcast, a conversation about faith, justice and how to change the world. I'm Dan and today I'm joined as ever by Emma and Chris. How are you both doing, guys? <laughs> yeah, doing all right, thanks. Sorry. <laughs> little, little gap there. Do you know what's funny? Like, I feel like instinctively Emma normally goes first. So you were I don't know if that's just because I'm a gentleman, you know. Yeah, well, I just always. thought I didn't want to, you know, always push in front. So I thought I'd give you an opportunity <laughs> to go first, but you didn't take it. So. No, we're just too humble on this podcast. It's exactly. a problem. It's <laughs> nice. It's nice. How are you, Dan? You know what? We don't normally ask how Dan's doing. Nobody, nobody ever asks. <laughs> Episode 53 and nobody has ever asked me. And all I've ever wanted is just someone to check that I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm all right, actually. Yeah, thanks. Um, pretty standard. On our fortnightly check-in on the roadmap, how are you guys doing? Today is the day we can actually go have a drink in a pub outside if we want to have a meal outside some brunch in the sun we've uh we've taken another big step guys what are your what are your plans i'm doing it all you're doing Everything. it all you're yeah doing it all. whatever you think whatever we can do I'm doing it. no obviously not i'm not going to become a super spreader that's not my plan <laughs> no uh, but i will be booking in my haircut i'll be doing this and that you know what i mean i'm ready for it i've been ready yes <laughs> i am um, well i feel like my friends are very organized because i've been getting a lot of text messages like okay i've booked to this place and i've booked to this place but they're all really random times because no one can get like normal bookings because everyone's already booked <laughs> everywhere <laughs> yeah 6 a.m lunch you mean yeah literally (laughs) literally but yeah I don't I think everyone's just getting a bit excited aren't they but it's all going to be like individual slots like you've got 45 minutes to quickly eat your dinner and then you've got to get out but yeah we'll see We'll take anything at the moment, won't we, I guess. 45 minutes is (laughs) 45 minutes more than yesterday, so Exactly. So in this episode, we'll be hearing from self-described political rabble-rousing singer-songwriter Andy Flanagan. The executive director of Christians in Politics shared with us his passion for getting Christians to engage in the political sphere and to make a difference. It's a really great conversation, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But first, it's time for Emma's Dilemmas. Okay, so this one actually probably isn't really a dilemma. It's more of a would you rather. And I saw it on the internet um, that somebody posted it on Instagram and it made me laugh because I was like, both are gross. Um, So would you rather never brush your teeth? (laughs) I can't even say it. (laughs) Would you rather never brush your teeth again or never have a shower or a bath again? Oof. That's tough. I feel like with brushing, if you don't brush your teeth, you will just end up losing them quite early, surely. Yeah, so maybe that's, that's the easier a... option. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if I have to be the smelly guy for the rest of my life, at least I can still eat solid food. You maybe know you I mean? could wash your teeth in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was thinking. It's like, 
can I dissolve some toothpaste in the bath and then just use it as mouthwash? And just now I've said that out. out loud, it's that's in a way even more disgusting than not washing them. But can we be inventive here? Ooh, that's funny. I mean, we've all done it though. We've all been like at a festival and gone without a showers for like at least two, maybe even three days. Deodorant can can save you up to a certain mm. point, oh. but I do feel after that it's just like there's there's a tipping point and nothing can. I help. think some people aren't aware though of their tipping point. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you're at like a festival, and then yeah. someone's like, "Yeah, I've just been using deodorant. It's fine," and you're like, "Well, it's really not fine." <laughs> Uh, what's what's the deal with with mouthwash and deodorant? Is that acceptable, Emma? I feel like we need to go yeah, back yeah. to the question master. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, in which case, I think mouthwash is is pretty solid, right? Particularly if you yeah. had like four different types of mouthwash that covered like <laughs> everything you needed, just like you know, gums and industrial, and, <laughs> yeah. and then just use your finger in between, <laughs> scrape off the extra bits. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's doable without brushing the teeth. So I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say, I'd rather go um, without brushing my teeth, and I'll just do what I can with with uh, mouthwash and floss. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great. Now I'm I'm down. Then I'm down. Yeah, you sold me, Dan. That actually sounds very doable. I was very skeptical at first, but. Here we come, showers for the rest of my life and mouthwash. I'm living okay, it. Okay, but if you can use mouthwash and floss, then you should be allowed to use, um, like, baby wipes. <laughs> but, it's not the same. It's not the same. Baby wipes are not doing the same thing as a shower or bath is doing. <laughs> it's true. Although, do you know that if you, um, apparently, if you eat apples, that cleans your teeth. I'm not sure if that's true, actually, but I'm sure I've heard that somewhere before. A few questions. <laughs> but it can like, help if scrape off. If you eat an apple, it cleans your teeth. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm, I'm not believing that. I'm going to call that fake news. Okay, well, we'll see about that. Emma, what are you choosing? Are you choosing the baby wipe route? Well, no, to be honest, I was trying to get you guys to choose the shower one because I wanted to go with the not brushing teeth just because I think there are way (laughs) more options. Um, But you both worked it out for yourselves. So, yeah, I think we're a unanimous vote today that we would all rather never brush our teeth again. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like, now, um, now things are opening up again and we can see more people, I wonder how... I mean, I'm not saying that I'm just sitting here without showering for the last four days, but like I haven't had to think about being that presentable for for the last you know 14 months. So I, yeah. I wonder if some of my opinions around this will change when I've actually got to you know re-engage with the world. I mean, I don't think it's summer as well. You're gonna want to get them showers in. Do you know what I mean? I I agree with you though. I have been like wearing the same top like a lot more than I would before. Do you know what I mean? Clothes are getting washed only when they're like despicably done. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. There's one thing that I don't think we've considered that is highly offensive is the fact that when you wear a mask, if you haven't brushed your teeth, you're just getting all of that stinky breath straight back in your nose. (laughs) That we really need to think this through. Yeah, good point. But again. A polo will sort that right out. (laughs) 
Great. Well, thank you, Emma, for this week's stinky dilemma. If you're listening at home and want to submit your own, head to We Are Tear Fund on Instagram and leave us a message. Next up, we're going straight to Chris's interview with Andy. Hi there, I'm Andy Flanagan, and uh, I'm the dad of two beautiful kids, Jubilee and Jesse. I'm the husband of a beautiful wife, Jen. I live in Luton, uh, you know, the most beautiful place in the world. And uh, and I am the executive director of Christians in Politics, and I do a lot of music stuff as well, and speaking, um, and writing songs, and generally uh, making making trouble and raising rabble. <laughs> awesome sounds busy sounds busy but at least you got the no, beautiful try not to be, try not to be. <laughs> <laughs> at least you got beautiful Luton to to kind of keep you grounded I've never been myself but I've, I've heard decent things heard good things welcome anytime Chris <laughs> I appreciate it yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, yeah so like you said so I mean you are a man who likes to cause a bit of trouble I guess uh, some say causing trouble I like to say of someone who's engaged with politics which I don't think is trouble I think it's just something we should all be doing um, but it'd be great to talk to you a bit about that in your for you what came first was it your faith or was it your interest in politics yeah it was um you know very much the faith thing first um and actually you know, ironic that we're doing a tear fund podcast. This is this wasn't planned. This isn't a plug, <laughs> but actually, it was, it was hugely through the work of tear fund. When I was a student, um, I was reading a lot of tear fund literature. I also did a few tear fund summer teams. During which time, I guess I was exposed to how much there was in the Bible about God's heart for the poor, how much God cared about how society is ordered. You know, thinking about the Jubilee principles, thinking about Sabbath, thinking about God, you know, just knowing us in our fallenness and in our selfishness, that actually that wealth and power will inevitably trickle up towards the powerful and the wealthy. Therefore, things like Jubilee being required and, and other intentional rhythms are required to offset uh, some of that selfishness and realizing, God, we, we really need our systems and our structures to be better. We can't just leave it. We can't just leave it to human beings, leave us to just do whatever we want, whenever we want, because actually just that leaves the wealthy and the powerful uh, more wealthy and more powerful. And therefore, we need to come together to collectively work out how best to organize society so that it can actually benefit everyone and that everybody gets a fair shot. And boy, I was exposed to so much stuff that showed that not everybody was getting a fair shot, understanding the global economic system, understanding the challenges of water um, shortages in sub-Saharan Africa in that time, understanding, you know, the realities of how, um, you know, countries couldn't actually, you know, pull themselves out of debt and how there needed to be changes with the WTO, there needed to be changes with with debt, debt regulation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, learning that stuff, but learning it alongside seeing God care deeply about this stuff in scripture. Um, so it was very much my um, faith that inspired me to get stuck in and get involved and do a lot, do a lot of stuff with Tear Fund, Christian Aid, Oxfam, those sort of folks. And at that time I was learning to uh, write songs and I started getting really angry about some of this stuff and writing songs and so those songs started being used by people like you know Tear Fund and Christian Aid and Oxfam and uh, you know for, for example going off to Bangladesh to go and investigate uh, uh, the garment industry in Dhaka you know the uh, all the sweatshop labour that was going on there and yeah. being able to go and investigate and have a look around some of the factories and meet some of the people involved and then write songs about that, come back and sing them and just make people aware um, of of the challenges 
uh, that yeah. these people are facing and how you know our laziness as consumers in the high street has a huge impact on their lives. So joining those dots was was an incredible experience, and I'm really thankful to Tear Fund for for doing that to a yeah. huge extent, kicking me off on that journey. And um, and then the more that I was doing stuff for Tear Fund, I was being asked to speak to or sing to uh, what you might call power brokers, you know, members of parliament or those who you know involved in the financial system, to tell those stories to those people. And then the more time that I spent around parliament, the more I realised, gosh, there's no magic dust here. <laughs> there's no, there, there are not a group of people operating on a higher intellectual, moral, or spiritual plane, you know. Mm. And um, thinking, gosh, if 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 we could be doing a bit. You know, yes, let's keep doing the shouting from the outside because I've been part of the marches to make poverty history, sending millions of emails, sending all those postcards, all that campaigning from the outside stuff, which people are still doing now on yeah. climate change and on various issues, which is brilliant, and on trafficking or whatever. But, you know, um, there's only so far you can get by shouting from the outside. And I was realizing the more time I spent in Parliament, uh, you know, serving into the prayer and the Bible study and the worship stuff there, I realized there are some huge opportunities to get involved on the inside as well. Mm-hmm. And then I started to see that connection between those campaigning from the outside and those of goodwill and those who were believers working on the inside, how effective that can be to bring change when you've got those two working together. But but sadly, often, especially as Christians, we are inclined towards the shouting from the outside thing more than we are inclined towards the working on the inside thing. Because, yeah. well, to be honest, it's more fun so Sometimes it's a bit more creative uh, rather than, you know, you know, sending emails around government departments. Not so exciting. Yeah. But um, I guess the more the more I saw, the more I realized that we need uh, the people shouting like Elijah from the desert, you know, the prophets mm-hmm. from the desert. But we also need the folks doing the less exciting roles like the Obadiahs who are working in the palace for King Ahab, even though it's a, not a great regime. It's a terrible regime. Yeah, actually. In key moments, you are there to affect kingdom change. So that's why, you know, and then, you know, God opened a door to be involved with Christians in politics and to help make the case for Christians to get involved in politics and to sort of help try and look after them a bit, usher them across the bridge and then to try and look after them a bit once they're here. Well, it sounds like you proper fell into a rabbit hole. Like, it sounds like... It's interesting because I know like so many people come in touch with like organizations like Tearfan, Oxfam, like you said, etc. Uh, whoever it may be, uh, but not everyone kind of goes away and says, you know, right, right I'm going to get fully stuck in. I'm going to go. I'm going to join the marches. I'm going to send the emails. I'm going to tell my friends. I'm going to start working in politics. So, what was it for you that kind of like what was happening in your life at that time that switched your trajectory to that? I just think I I just thought it's it's just desperately unfair. I thought what's going on is just awful. I, was, I just thought, I think it was just the, the, the extent of what I was seeing. You know, just even, you know, that trip I just mentioned to Dakar, to be in uh, in the midst of Dakar, seeing the accommodation that these girls and women who lived in the garment factories, that they're living like six or seven people to a room, you know, places where, you know, leprosy was still actually raging mm. in the world. So, you know, in, in, you know in, in the 21st century to see somewhere where there's still leprosy going on because people are living in such close proximity. Um, and you're going, this is just like so unjust. This is so unfair. And, you know, I come from Northern Ireland, which has its own problems, but, but you know, it just it was so privileged. My, my upcoming was just so privileged there. Mm. Um, and it was wonderful and beautiful and, and I loved it. But you, you just, you become so aware of, of, of your privilege basically you know and mm. and and i think I, I i during that time in my life something i i noticed that i was different every time i came back from one of these trips 
and I sort of pledge myself, you know, that I, I am going to try and make sure I'm exposed. But whether here in the UK or whether overseas, I'm going to make sure like every two years, I'm like majorly exposing myself, inoculating myself, not inoculating myself, exposing myself to, you know, to hopefully not inoculating yeah. myself, but exposing myself um, to situations that are really challenging, of, of great need, that, that actually sort of somehow reset my thermostat before I start thinking of what is normal, realizing that it's just not normal for so many people, like really realizing how much comfort we live in, how much privilege we have, you know, and, you know, just realizing that even even to have a bank account, that puts me in like, you know, the top 5% mm. of, of world earners, you know, to even have a bank account and to have money in a bank account, because we, th- we, t- we tend to compare ourselves just to the next person beside us. Yeah. And social media is such a disaster for just making us constantly compare ourselves to other people in our social media bubble. And that comparison is going on and we're not comparing ourselves and we're not getting a perspective on just how blessed we are, Mm. how incredibly blessed we are and how, you know, we have to be using some of what God has given us, you know, you know, to, to whom God's given, you know, (laughs) if you're given lots, you, 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 there's an expectation, you know, scripture says, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm. And, and we have been given so much and so often we start to believe that we haven't been given much and so therefore we hide away and we just keep ourselves safe. Mm. But we've been given a huge head start. And, and and yeah, I just felt like, gosh, well, you know, I, I've been given that head start to yeah. for the purpose of trying to help others. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, but to try and do that and try to learn to do that in a way that's not messianic, you know, <laughs> you know, as yeah. me coming in, you chat me in going, I'm going to sort this all out. But yeah, just kind sure. of drawing dots to help people understand. Yeah. Um, and you know, I felt for me the call um, was uh, was a, it was a fascinating thing because I was doing medicine. I was a medical student at the time, so I thought I was going to go and be a doctor in Uganda or something. Like I'd seen like many of my um, uh, your first experiences in church were seeing people you know give talks on slides. Do you remember? You you won't even yeah, remember yeah. slides, Chris. You know, was, <laughs> you know, from from people working and you know in, in in the midst of Uganda and, and Zimbabwe. Um, you know that 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 was my model for mission really. Mm. And I was doing a medical degree thinking that that's what I might end up doing. But then suddenly I was like singing two or three gigs a week and the music thing was just taken off. And I was thinking, well, how does this make sense if I'm going to end up, you know, in a, in a mission hospital, <laughs> you know, somewhere in Africa. And, and there was a night in Belfast where a guy, George Verwer was speaking for an organization called OM operation yeah. mobilization. And, and he said, you know, in, in the study of missiology today, he said the big need is not for more missionaries. He said the biggest need is for people who I call senders, mm. people who have a heart for a way, but who are gifted in communicating about that place at home. Mm. And it was just this kind of zoom, this kind of thing just landed in my chest. I thought, I think that's what I meant to do. That made sense of why I had such a passion and such an anger at this injustice, mm. but that, that, but, but realizing that it's probably going to be my job to join the dots and, and help people understand the rest of the world and find ways to connect them to that yeah. mission field rather than me being the one who's actually necessarily going to go and be the, you know, the grand savior of, yeah. You know, and, um, you know, and, and I feel like that's what I'm doing now. I feel like it's, it's continued, but it's just like the mission field that should have, um, uh, narrowed you would say to politics now that actually yeah, I feel like I'm sending that's what my job is sending people in, and supporting them as I you know call them into the mission field of politics yeah um, and, and, and that that you know that that framing of, of seeing politics as a mission field is really key because otherwise we just see it as a functional thing to get a job done to get our campaigning better sorted you know like I said at the start 
you need politics to get some of the change to happen, but it's not just a functional thing. It's a, it's actually a divine vocation, a holy calling. You know the yeah. the you know the call to public leadership that Adam and Eve received in Genesis chapter one. And, you know we often use those verses. You know that that, that they're, they're they're called to kind of look after creation. And so when we're thinking about climate change and we're thinking about uh, you know the the climate, we're thinking about creation. We often use those verses, but we which is brilliant and we should do. But what we often forget is when those verses occur that they they occur before anything goes wrong they occur before the fall that call into public leadership happens before anything goes wrong that happens before there's any climate change so we don't just get involved in politics because we need to sort some stuff out we get involved in politics because as human beings that's what we're called to do we're called to image his good rule and reign and if, if more of us were involved in imaging his good rule and reign in the systems and structures of our world then the systems and structures wouldn't be in such a bad place um, and, and, and needing all this fixing and needing all this challenge but it's a really important thing to remember it is a holy calling it is a mission field it is it is you know this divine vocation um and that i guess we're trying to awaken that mystery and that joy and that awe in the people who are getting involved so that because it's a tough world you know and often things will go wrong and you won't actually be successful in the first campaign or the second campaign but if you're going in with a pragmatic mindset that you know we're just trying to sort some stuff out as soon as you don't get something sorted you give up. You tend to give up, or as soon as you hit some toxicity on social media, you tend to get it. Tend to give mm-hmm. up. But if you know that you're in this because this is something we're programmed and designed to do as human beings, um, and it's a call, it's a holy calling, then then you can go into it and you can stay in it even when it's tough because you know you're going to be giving glory ultimately to your Creator, whether you win or whether you lose. Yeah, for sure. That's really that's really inspiring, and I just love. I really loved that kind of moment for you of like, you know what, I know might not necessarily be the one in like on the on the front line on the in the in the actual arena. I might be the one actually sending people. And I think there's often like this kind of this idea that actually to care about social justice means you are you literally have to be on the front line. But with you, I see something more kind of like it outworks into every facet of your life, even your music as well. Yeah, how does your music and your engagement in politics how do they impact each other how do how do they work out each other well the the political engagement wouldn't exist without the music stuff that's you know it was it was doing those songs uh you know for those different agencies and just screaming and ranting at the injustice <laughs> of it all in those songs and and where that led me to then singing those songs to members of parliament and and to other people uh you know people of influence uh that that led me to being involved in relationship with those people. And mm-hmm. that led me to, you know, I guess the doors then opened to get more fully involved. So yeah, the, the political stuff wouldn't actually exist without, without the musical stuff, without that expression, mm-hmm. without that, that heart wrenching, I guess it was a cry. And I guess, again, for me, that was, you know, I, I do love things that work. I love things that I, I want to know what, you know, what, what's the target, what's the end point. You know, I love, you know, writing down a to-do list and getting it done. Mm. But, you know, so you could think there are friends of mine who are incredibly talented and gifted and artistic, um, but who, uh, you know, who would say, but look at the needs of the world, but look at the state of this estate. Look at this. How, how can I be sort of just doing theatre? What's the point of doing theatre when, like, you know, people are going hungry? Or, like, how can I spend my time writing songs when, you know, people like in Luton here are being trafficked for sex? You know, how, how can I justify art 
and actually, you know, I think that that sort of misses the point of what we're what we're called to as human beings. You know, we're not just here to meet needs. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus just didn't meet every need. Jesus did what he heard the Father calling him to do, and sometimes that meant leaving leaving a village, even when there's more stuff that he could have done because he, he was on a mission. It's not it's not it's not just about meeting needs. This is not just a functional thing. And I love what Jim Wallace says, the American writer. He says, you know, find. Find something you're good at and find a need in the world. Mm. And then where those two things meet, that's probably what you should spend your life doing. Mm. <laughs> that's like a, that's the best career advice I've ever heard. And it's probably not going to be possible for everyone. But so that, I mean, that's why I think, you know, you've, you've got like the, the artists who are crying out about the injustice of our world. That is incredibly powerful and important thing to be doing, whether it's poetry, whether it's art, whether it's like street protest theater, you know, whatever it is, that stuff that awakens our senses to that, you know? So it's very, it's easy to get stuck in one world or the other. You just roll up your sleeves, grassroots, let's mm-hmm. do the hard work. But actually, you know, I have lots of friends doing that and they're not being the artistic, creative people that they used to be anymore. But then I've also got friends who are just involved in the art, just involved in the creativity, just involved in the music making. And, and maybe they're not in contact with that need anymore. And so it's become a little bit self-serving and it's become uh, a little bit, you know, like whatever that industry often gets like. Mm-hmm. And so I think we are called, we are meant to straddle these worlds and the two things are meant to interact. And uh, we're meant to be one, you know, as you know, in the, in the Hebrew sense, we're not meant to be just, you know, body, mind and spirit separate. It's meant to be all together. Mm-hmm. And that should mean we are crying out and that should mean we are lamenting for our world. And boy, you know, there's been a lot of lamenting to do yeah. in this last couple of years, hasn't there? For so many reasons, there's been a lot of crying out. And so often the crying out that other people can identify with is is when that is in song or in poetry and other people mm-hmm. can hear something and go, gosh, yeah, that's my heart cry too. I hear that. I hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, anybody listening to this, I would encourage them. <laughs> I would encourage them to, go, you know, go, do not, do not set aside what God's put in you in terms of creativity and art, that is, that is key to him to expressing his heart. You know, yeah. that's his heartbeat and you express his heart through that stuff. And that's what really connects with people. Hearing you talk, it's so obvious that you are like truly genuinely passionate and moved by a lot of what you've come across, like whether it be going to other countries and being in different communities or whether it be just being aware of what's happening, even from home as we've all been for the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that being said, I there's still a lot of Christians who I've talked to, a lot of churches who like I which I know of which I like have will like go to and like enjoy their service, love the people, etc. But will also turn around and say, you know what, social justice politics is not really the church's issue. What do you say to those people? Um, I would ask them what Bible they're reading. Um, that'd be my first question. You know that actually all the way through Scripture, God makes it really clear in in the book that I wrote called "Those Who Show Up," which I which I wish I had nearby, but I don't. Um, in that book, uh, do grab it. It's great. Lots of stories of various people getting involved and the biblical basis for getting involved. It's called "Those Who Show Up," um, but there's a whole chapter called Route Sixty Six. And it goes through all 66 books of the Bible and gives examples from each of those books of how God in those in those words is, is screaming out his passion for good governance mm-hmm. of his creation. Uh, you know, whether you're looking at Daniel, whether you're looking at Joseph, whether you're going back to Genesis, as we were earlier, whether, you know, how Paul's writing about leadership and authority in his letters, how Jesus is speaking and challenging, uh, you know, the religious leaders who were also the political leaders 
of his day. You know, and sometimes people say to me, well, yeah, I, yeah, I get actually, I'll give you, I accept that Jesus was political, um, um, but he, but he wasn't a politician. Mm-hmm. So we should stay out of politics. And at that point I'll say, well, okay. But Jesus also wasn't an airline pilot and, and he, and he also wasn't an accountant. So are you, are you seriously telling me that the only occupation that's open to Christians is to be a carpenter? Is that, is that, is that what you're telling me? Because, you know, there's, there's something very beautiful happened in the life of Jesus. We've got to understand the incarnation. Yeah. He, he was incredibly political in so much of what he did. He was standing up against, you know, the, the, to say that Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar is Lord was a, was a political statement. It was a dangerous statement. Um, but we've got, we've got to realize when he was standing up and saying, saying what he said, he, Jesus, you know, was the only way, the best way I can describe it is this, that when you are God of all the universe and you created it all and you have the supreme authority, but you are obviously through the whole of scripture clear that you are the God of the underdog. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have made it clear that you got involved with like the weakest, most pathetic tribe in the Middle East. You got involved with Gideon. You got involved with <laughs> Moses. You got involved with Mary, this teenager who was going like, what, me? Seriously? And and the fact that Mary knew that she didn't feel like she had any status or privilege, she was going, that, that's why Mary sang that amazing song. They said, you know, God, you're going to turn the world upside down. The mighty are going to come down from their thrones. Mary song. That's because Mary was feeling it in her body. She's going, oh, my goodness it's happening to me mm. I'm getting emotional talking about this but it's, you know, he is the God of the underdog he is the God of the underdog and you know and when you make that clear because when you're all powerful and you connect with humanity you've got to make it clear that you're not that kind of autocratic leader that's just going to use his weight you know throw around his weight to get his way when you've actually created humans with free will and you're wanting to say, I am on the, I am on that, I am on this side of the lowest and the least and the lost. I am the God of the underdog because, you know, I, you know, people talk about God having a bias to the poor. And, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but I feel like we have to have a bias to the poor, but, you know, he has to have a bias to the poor because we don't, because we are so selfish. And so when you're clearly the God of the underdog and you're wanting to make it clear that you're the God of the underdog, when, when you then are incarnated, in human flesh, in human form, the last thing you want to do is become like an earthly leader. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You want to make it clear that this is a different sort of kingdom. This is a different sort of leadership. This is a different sort of transformation. But that doesn't rule out us fulfilling our divine calling to be involved in human leadership because Jesus affirmed that human authority. You know, when he stood in front of Pilate, he said, you know, uh, you, know you would have no authority, but it was given you from above. Mm. And, you, and often we think, well, that's Jesus saying, oh, Pilate, watch out. You know, my big daddy's going to get you. But, but interestingly, he's actually affirming his authority. He's saying you would have no authority except it was given you from above. He's reminding him where it comes from, but he's absolutely affirming human authority. He's absolutely affirming that the fact that, that, you know, we are called and we like we have this incredible delegation of God's authority to rule and reign and to, you know, manage this creation. Mm. Um, and all through scripture, it's promised that we will rule and reign with him forever uh, in eternity. Yeah. Um, so, you know, back in Eden, even perfection needed managed back in Eden with Adam and Eve. And for all eternity, that perfection needs managed. So this bit in between us being involved in governance and in politics and in public leadership that's just us being apprentices for what we're going to do for the whole of eternity anyway so you know sorry you get me on my soapbox now i I love it (laughs) (laughs) no i love it i don't want to interrupt it's interesting you talk about kind of like the god of the underdog i guess what i see a lot is that uh like for us living in the western world 
where we're quite comfy, we're quite comfortable. What I see a lot is happen is that either people kind of forget about the underdog or convince themselves that they are the underdog themselves. And I'm just like, oh, I need God for only for my problems, for my from for my life. But your perspective is a lot wider than that. How do we how do we kind of share that perspective with people more? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting thing. A lot of people have written about this in culture at the minute, haven't they? That um that rather than uh, doing what we're called to in Proverbs, which is speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Um, there's a real danger of society fractionating even more into just different bunches of people, all with different identities, all screaming for their rights. You know, I'm, you know, actually, no, I'm, I'm more oppressed. No, I'm more oppressed. No, I'm more oppressed. No, I'm more oppressed. No, I'm more oppressed. And that's sort of like, yeah, whether, you know, different people call it different things and there are some problems in and around how we, how we talk about it, whether it's identity politics or, you know, culture wars or that sort of thing that we, I think our distinctive as believers has to be that we are the people who are speaking up, not for ourselves. We're not just another minority group speaking up for our rights, Mm -hmm. that we are speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves, that we make it known that we are not shouting out for our rights, for our rights to be able to, oh, we want to get back into our buildings or we want to get, you know, we don't want to, that actually we're speaking up for those who we think probably don't have those relationships and connections that maybe that we do have. Or if maybe we don't feel we have any relationships or connections, then we are just we are investing ourselves in our communities in a way that means that, you know, the, the surefire way to connect with God and to know his heart, the Matthew 25 stuff. And as much as you've done it to the least of my brethren, you've done it onto me, you know, that from whatever place we are, wherever we feel we are in the, in this, in this, in the, what the spectrum of life that actually we are at our best when we are giving and we are serving. We are designed for surrender and we are designed for service and we are at our happiest and our most fulfilled when we are giving ourselves away, not when we are building walls to protect us or fighting for our rights. That's when we are at our most miserable. That's when we are at our angriest. And and I see far too much, sadly, of Christians, you know, um, trying to defend our turf. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why, that, that's why but, but, but that inevitably comes, sadly, from... I guess, as some of the theology that we've had that hasn't talked the full story of the kingdom and the full story of the gospel, where we haven't really understood that when in Colossians chapter one, we talk about all things, where when Jesus, you know, Jesus the in whom the fullness of God dwells, reconciling all things to God. And by all things, we mean all things in heaven and on earth. We mean all things in creation. So we are talking about politics. We are talking about media. We're talking about education. Mm-hmm. We're talking about business. You know, we mean all things coming under his rule and reign. We're talking about all things giving him glory, being the best that they can possibly be, like the arts being what they were designed to be. And and so, you know, but if we haven't had that sort of holistic theology, that actually we, we long to see transformation in all of creation, in all of the spheres of creation. And if we're not, therefore, as believers, proactively involved in all those different places, that means what happens is that we stick just in the religious sphere mm-hmm. and and then we will get political, but we'll only get political when somebody, what we feel, they come knocking on our door, come standing on our turf. So whether it's about Sunday trading, or whether it's about marriage, or whether it's about, you know, I'm, you know don't get me wrong, I'm passionate about, those issues too but actually so often we've been in a defensive posture and with an uglier tone mm. because because we're like actually just being 
you know, we're reactive. We're being defensive because we feel like somebody's come and stood on our turf because we haven't been proactively involved in all those other areas of, of life and society where we can be salt and light and where people can see that we care about more than just one issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's like, I believe God's passionate about all the issues right across, right across the spectrum, you know, you know, so that, you know, you can be campaigning one day on trafficking and climate change and you can be campaigning the other day on abortion. Do you know what I mean? That that is not, you know, these are not, we, we not, we cannot allow ourselves to be fractionated into this kind of this sort of the fake left and right thing. And, yeah. you know, I, I love what, I love what uh, Tom Wright says about um, uh, that. He, he says that like, you know, it would, it would appear to me that he says that in life, there are moments that call for a progressive response, i.e. things need to change. And there are moments in life that call for a conservative response with a small C. You know, you know that uh, you know that basically means things need to stay the same. Mm-hmm. A conservative response, and you know the same is true in parenting. So, like with with um, with me and Jesse, <laughs> you know, there are times that call for a progressive response. So he's getting older and he's wanting to stay awake later, and he's staying awake and he's getting annoyed. So <laughs> we have to change his bedtime. His bedtime must move forward, or a time when we, oh, he needs to start eating solid food now. You know, there are times when a progressive response is required, mm-hmm. um, but there are also times there are, where a conservative response is required. You know, no, no, Jesse, we still do not pour milk on the laptop. That is just, <laughs> we just, you know, that's just something we just don't do. And there are some kind of, you know, things that are in, in our DNA that means that when we go against them, they're just not, those aren't good things. Those are things we should not pull up, you know, yeah. and, and and the sort of the progressive zeal of, of sometimes pulling up the weeds, you sometimes pull up some good plants as well. Mm. And and so it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that in life, as in parenting, there will be times for a progressive response and there will be times for a conservative response. But what happens so often is we get stuck in one of those two tribes, mm. that especially with the speed and the immediacy of social media that we end up just responding with the knee-jerk reaction of our tribe rather than going, well, on this issue, well, can we stop? Can we take a breath? Can we pray? Can we consult some ancient wisdom? Can we look at scripture? Can we take a moment? Um, but because of the toxicity of social media, we need the protection of our tribe. So we tend to just go along with the tribe yeah. and the sort of siloing of social media and the algorithms. You know, we're probably only hearing from our tribe. And so we're not even aware that somebody else might have a different viewpoint. And so I think as believers, we've got this beautiful thing to do to, you know, to model how to disagree well. Mm. But we've also got to realize that God's heart for good governance is huge. And he actually cares passionately about all creation. He designed it. And so he has an opinion on all of you from taxation to healthcare to broadband to whatever, you know, there are, you know, there are lots of different ways. And we won't all get involved in every subject, but we've got to be really careful before we start playing the game and saying, oh, no, no, but Christians need to be just talking about this subject. We shouldn't be talking about that subject. We should be talking about this subject. What we need to do is bless one another to say, well, actually, maybe God's called you to campaign on that subject. Maybe God's called you to actually be a candidate and be a politician. Mm-hmm. Maybe God's called you to do research. Maybe God's called you to do the administration for somebody who is a candidate. Maybe God's called you to do the website for a candidate. Maybe God's, there are so many different ways to be involved in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, especially folks, especially what I was like when I was a student, when I was like in my 20s, it's so easy to spend so much time discussing the most strategic way, like, oh, no, we should, we should definitely be doing it this way. No, we should, we should be on the streets. No, we need to be in parliament. No, we need to be writing the books. No, we need to be in academia. That's, you know, and you can spend so much time thinking which is, which is most effective that you, you get paralyzed and you don't do anything. Yeah. 
when the, when the truth is, the answer is all of the above. <laughs> God will call different people to different places to campaign on different issues and in different ways. And we need to bless each other and work with each other as we do that, rather than play them off against each other and say, yeah. hey, why are you doing that? This is much more effective over here, you know? So um, anyway, yes, I'll get off my soapbox again, but I, I, I feel like... I feel like there is a there is such there's such a broad wide world to be involved in, but we we have to know our calling. We have to know our calling, otherwise we just get miserable. I see too many people getting miserable. I see too many believers that don't have an easy yoke and a light burden. Mm. That you know that it's not all our responsibility. That yes, he 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 wants our help in this incredible adventure of seeing a broken world made whole, but he does not need our help. He wants the transformation in us. As he much as much as he wants us to be involved in the transformation. Yeah, that's awesome. That's the word. I mean, we've barely scratched the surface. I'm looking at the time, and I'm like, oh, I, sure. I, I feel like I could keep talking to you for like another hour. But um, <laughs> if someone's listening to this and they're they're getting really excited, they're really like, you know what? I feel like I'm in that space. Maybe they're maybe they're someone who's not really thought about this stuff much before. Maybe they're someone who is like very very much like protesting, getting the noise out there, but hasn't really considered working in politics, as you say. Like what? Are kind of the what are some of the the tips or what are the learnings that you had from entering into the pol- political world more? Um, I would say pray plenty to see where God leads you. Because again, one of the other ways we get paralyzed is by thinking, "I'd love to get involved in politics and a political party, but I there's not one party that I can agree with all their policies." And believe me, I get that. Mm-hmm. but you'll never find the perfect party in the same way that you'll never find the perfect church or the perfect partner. You know, mm-hmm. I, often, well, I often say there's one political party and I agree with 100% of their policies, but it's the Andy Flanagan party and it has only one member. <laughs> and sadly it's me, you know, but that is, that's the philosophical thick end of the wedge we get to as Christians. So often, you know, mm-hmm. we've, we paint ourselves into the corner and there's nowhere left to go and nobody left to go with. Um, when actually the the evangelistic missional adventure is getting involved with people who we will not agree with on everything, who will yeah, probably yeah. have large disagreements, but actually we can find common cause. Uh, you know, and you know, everybody knows that that's that's what happens. And even in a church leadership team, you don't agree on everything, but you you decide on something and you find common cause. Uh, you know, it's there is there is so much life to be working with and rubbing shoulders with people who you will not agree with on everything. And there's so much temptation in the church to just, just set or set ourselves up in our own little subculture. And we can feel like we're impacting the world, but actually we've just set something else up that has just got Christians involved in it. You know, it's so easy to do. And, and so I would say, get involved, get stuck in, join a party, pray, find out, you know, there are so many opportunities in your locality. If you, if you show up, to a local political party in your vicinity, if you turn up on time, if you do what you said you would do before the next meeting, if you maybe even bring some biscuits, uh, you know, if you bring even a shred of creativity or optimism to that meeting, you are, you're straight away in the top 5% of local political operatives. You will shine. I hear it all the time from friends in politics saying, oh yeah, you're a friend, so-and-so showed up and there's there's just something about her. There's just something about her. You know, I get emails from people saying, look, I, I turned up to my first meeting and I'm already the vice chair. And, you know, in six months time, I'm standing to be a local councillor. You know, people shine. Yeah. You know, I still believe in the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, people shine. And, and we forget, we undervalue what we learn being part of the church. 
being part of these NGO campaigns, we learn so much public speaking. We learn so much conflict resolution. We learn we learn we learn so much ability of how to run a meeting and all that sort of stuff. And that that you know, a lot of other people do not have those giftings coming into politics. It's such a head start. And and then the other thing is that the church is so engaged and involved in so many communities across the country. Often Christians who have been involved in running food banks and debt counselling and working with the homeless, they, they're actually best placed to know what the big challenges are in their community, far better than lots of other people. So we have this incredible head start. If only we would sort of take the leap and get involved. And, you know, I, I would encourage people practically to just come and visit our website, www.christiansinpolitics.org.uk and we'll hook you up with other people who are on that journey and there's a specific wing of Christians in Politics now called Young Christians in Politics who have a very dynamic uh, young board uh, who have just taken over this year and they're organising events and doing stuff on social media and and coming together to encourage one another pray with one another we just had an incredible couple of gatherings where people from right across the political spectrum are praying together on Zoom and like just going like hi that's just incredible we were in a Zoom with six people in, in a breakout room and there was one red, there was one yellow, there was one green, there was one independent. And it was just like, it was amazing that you know, re- these realized these guys didn't have three heads. And, you know, in terms of, and you talked about the kind of, you know, the divisions in our country, that's one way we can really come together. You know, when you're, when you're on your knees together in front of the one who knows it all, that's when you start to realize that you don't know it all. Mm. And it renders you more able to listen to other people who might have a different opinion to you. So it's a joy to be involved in that sort of work with Christians in politics. So I'd encourage people to come and get stuck in uh, and get involved and you will be supported and you'll meet other people who are on that journey as well. And you come and meet uh, and read the stories of those folks who are mayors and MPs uh, who have been MEPs and have been local councillors all around the country. Um, who are seeing incredible fruit from their being involved in that mission field. I think you'll be encouraged by that and and just come and join us on the journey. It's fun. It's not easy, but it's incredibly fun. Uh, And we look forward to meeting you. It was great to hear from Andy there. What did you guys think of what he had to share? I really like this challenge for us as Christians to kind of take on that mantle given to Adam and Eve and actually not just think about that as in how we look after nature and creation but actually how we organise all of life and organise all of society and um, the point that if we don't do that like it's inevitable that wealth and power trickles upwards and actually things become very unjust quite quickly um, so looking at things like the, the, the Jubilee principles which are in the Old Testament and actually how God was always kind of instructing his people to actually think about how you organise society in a way where there are no people left behind where the least is treated the same as those who have the most um, so yeah I really loved that point that you made Yeah I think for me it was an important reminder that we need both progressive and conservative responses and we can't just get stuck in one of of those two tribes I think that's a real danger we're in um, across the world both in the UK and and everywhere you look at America and you see two very polarizing approaches and um, and and people forming identity within one of those tribes and completely disassociating themselves with the other and I don't know about you guys but I've I've had situations where my political uh, beliefs lead me to a place where I can't understand why someone else would think differently to me <laughs> and I can't understand why someone would vote in the in the way opposite to me and you know I sometimes in in my thought processes go to 
thinking that's unbiblical and inhumane that somebody would would do that and at the end of the day it's somebody belonging to a political party or a political stance just like I belong to mine and I think there's a real danger that we we keep polarizing um, or that or at least taking it to the extreme where we can't possibly imagine why anyone would uh, vote in a particular way or believe a particular thing whether that's conservative or or progressive the answer really needs a combination of those approaches and we um, we need to make sure that we're talking to people outside of our bubble to make sure we have that perspective yeah I love what he said about um getting that balance between finding what you're good at and finding a need in the world um and then trying to combine the two if you can but I think it's just such a important point that we don't often think about I think sometimes we see a need in the world and we think oh I could do something to help that and then we'll I don't know you see it kind of with missions trips and stuff if you go potentially to build a school but you've never built anything in your life you've never and this is no shade to people but it's like (laughs) like I've heard stories of kind of people going to do these like building projects and they're there for two weeks but then actually they're there kind of building the stuff in the day then in the night people have to come and fix it so that it's actually built properly and the foundations are done correctly so that it doesn't all fall down when people actually go inside um And it's like all well and good seeing a need and wanting to respond to it. But it's actually important to ask ourselves, what has God gifted me with? And what gifts and talents do I have that I can bring to this world? Because they're so valuable and they're unique to you. You don't just have to do what seems like the most obvious thing. I think sometimes it takes a bit more looking inside of yourself and seeing what you can bring to a situation. And yeah, I don't know. I just think it's a great great question to ask yourself. Um, and a good challenge to try and find a life that balances um, the two things of doing what you're called to, doing what you're good at and responding to needs in the world. Great. Thank you, Erin and Chris, for joining me. That's all we've got time for today. Thanks to those at home for listening in too. We'll be back on the 26th of April with another episode. If you like what you heard today, make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Fund. <laughs>